0: Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Dawn Noble of Pure Heart Ministries and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Last week I talked to you about the fact that we were going to dig deeper into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now I just want to be straight up and clear and let you know that I am using a commentary by uh, William MacDonald. It's called the Believer's Bible Commentary. I think it's I think it's a pretty good commentary. And sometimes you have to use a commentary because these are scholars. These are people that have dug deep into things and into the Greek and the Hebrew. And sometimes you get into a part of scripture that is really hard to parse. In other words, it's hard to figure out exactly what the writer is talking about, the context. And sometimes, especially when in these particular chapters, talking about the future, the future that we actually are part of right now. And of course, the end times when Christ's return, the tribulation, etc. So that can get pretty confusing for any believer and any person studying the Word. So I am going to be using that commentary tonight. I just wanted to give you a heads up and, and give credit to uh, William McDonald. So what I want to do first is I want to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 17. We'll talk about that, then we'll start with chapter 3 and do verses 1 through 15. The title of this message is keeping steadfast, keeping steadfast. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, And are gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. By the way, I am reading out of the New King James Version today. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he, he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now... You know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is, according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because if they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God, Paul says, always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth, belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Okay, so when Paul is... Um, talking about right there in verse 2 he says don't be soon shaken or troubled or worried what was going on was they were concerned about the coming of the lord and um, there was uh, paul is trying to correct a misunderstanding that had arisen in the minds of these saints concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ and the day of the lord These saints were suffering such severe persecution that it was easy for them to think that they were already in the first part of the day of the Lord, uh, which would be the tribulation period. And of course, rumors were floating around that the apostle himself believed and taught that the day of the Lord had arrived. So he really had to set the record straight. Now, William MacDonald says in his commentary, he says a crucial Question arises in verse 1 concerning the small word which Paul uses, and that word concerning. The prob- problem is whether he is beseeching the saints about the coming of our Lord or by the coming of our Lord. If the first is the meaning, then the passage seems to teach that the rapture and the day of the Lord are one and the same event, since the following verses clearly deal with the day of the Lord. If the second is the meaning, then Paul is appealing to them on the basis of the prior rapture, that they should not think that they were in the day of the Lord. The question is debatable. We agree with William Kelly, uh, William MacDonald says, we, we, we agree with William Kelly when he adopts the second view, saying this, the comfort of the Lord's coming is employed as a motive and means for counteracting the uneasiness created by the false presentation that the day of the Lord was there. We understand Paul to be saying, quote, I appeal to you on the basis of the rapture that you should not fear that you are in the day of the Lord. The rapture must take place first, right? So the rapture has to come, and then the tribulation. Um... You will be taken home to heaven at that time and will thus escape the horrors of the day of the Lord. So, the day of the Lord is equivalent to the tribulation period. The expression, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, Paul writes, seems to refer unmistakably to the rapture because we are being gathered to the Lord. That is the time when we meet him in the air. So if you and I are still alive, when that trumpet sounds and the call comes, we're going to disappear in a twinkling of an eye, in like a nanosecond. We will disappear from the earth to be gathered in the air with Christ Christ. I hope I'm still around I pray that I am it should be clear that the rapture is not the same as the day of the Lord um, yes the rapture is not the same as the day of the Lord the day of the Lord is the tribulation now the Thessalonians were not worried that the Lord had come they knew that he had not come but they were worried that the day of the Lord, in other words, they had worried that the tribulation had come because of the severe persecution they were under. It was intense persecution that they were enduring that made them think they were in the tribulation or what we would say like the first phase of the day of the Lord. Um, Rumors, had been circulating that Paul himself had said that the day of the Lord had arrived. And of course, like most rumors, they were all mixed up. One version intimated that Paul had received the information by spirit, that is by special revelation, but another report said that the news had come by word, that is the apostle had publicly taught that the tribulation had begun. By letter, as if from us, when he says it, is generally understood to refer to a forged letter purportedly from Paul that the day of the Lord had started. The expression that he uses, as if from us, probably goes with spirit, word, and letter. And, of course, none of those sources were correct. Paul was not trying to confuse the people. Paul did not say that um, the rapture was the same as the day of the Lord. The Thessalonians were not in fear that the day of Christ was at hand. Uh, You know why? That would have meant release from their sufferings. So let's talk about now the man of sin that Paul writes about. Now, the apostle explains why they could not be in the day of the Lord. Certain events had to take place first. After the rapture, these events will begin to happen. And the first of all, first of all, there will be the falling away or the apostasy. Now, we... William McDonald wrote this commentary in nineteen ninety five that's twenty seven years ago at that time it was i would I would guess to say it would have been hard to see that there was any falling away of the church um i remember um, yeah i you know 27 years ago, I don't think anybody would have said that there would have been a real falling away of the church. I think now we can very much say that there has been a falling away of the church. COVID really clarified some things for us because churches shut down. Churches closed their doors. No church, no church, I want to say this very clearly, no church should have closed its doors during COVID. It was one time when the church needed to be open. But of course, the government, the media, you know, ramped up this thing uh, of, Putting the fear of death and scaring everyone and just so much fear into people, fear into pastors. So church is closed. But I believe the falling away has already begun. I, I believe we're, we're in it. But there's going to be obviously a greater falling away. That tells me something. It tells me that there is going to be a true remnant of the church. Now, all the prophets are saying there's going to be a great awakening. I have said that to you many times, a third great awakening, which means that there is going to be a great revival that will sweep our nation, probably many other nations as well, when the church is going to bring in many, many, many lost souls. But that can happen even in the midst of a falling away. So what does apostasy really mean? It means that there is a wholesale abandonment of Christianity. I mean, boom, a positive rejection of the Christian faith. That's what apostasy means. So there is a huge segment of of the american population that does reject the christian faith in fact we see we see that all in in many many ways then when this great great falling away occurs a great world figure will arise as to this man of sin that paul's talking about this is This man will be the embodiment of sin and rebellion. As to his destiny, he is the son of perdition. In other words, he is doomed to eternal judgment. The scriptures contain many descriptions of important personages who will arise during the tribulation, and it is difficult to know when different names apply to the same person. Some commentators believe that the man of sin will be a Jewish Antichrist. Others teach that he will be the Gentile head of the revived Roman Empire. I tend to go with the um, Jewish Antichrist. But this man of sin has been given an intriguing variety of identifications down through the years. He's been equated with the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope... The Roman Empire, the final form of apostate Christendom, Judas reincarnated, Nero reincarnated, the Jewish state, Mohammed, Luther, Napoleon, Mussolini, and the embodiment of Satan. Well, I think the scripture makes it clear this man of sin will be the embodiment of Satan He will violently oppose every form of divine worship, and he will enthrone himself in the temple of God in Jerusalem. This description clearly identifies him as the Antichrist, the one who is opposed to Christ. That's what anti means. It means against, opposed. So the Antichrist is opposed to Christ, and he sets himself up in the temple in the place of Christ so he not only opposes Christ but he's going to try to make everyone think he is Christ Daniel 9:27 and Matthew 24:15 show that this blasphemous action of the antichrist takes place in the middle of the tribulation period for which we Believers will not be here. And I'll tell you, William McDonald gives them a wonderful, uh, I mean, I read that and thought, wow, he gives a very clear reasoning as to why we will not be here for the tribulation. Now, uh, you know, I guess we could be, but only time will tell. But I think that, For the most part, we will not be here. So Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24, 15 show that this action, blasphemous action of the Antichrist takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. Those who refuse to worship him will be persecuted. And of course, we know that many, many will be martyred. Paul used to tell the Thessalonians these things when he was still with them. He was kind of always giving them a heads up. However, with contradictory teaching being given to them, which seemed to accurately describe the fierce persecutions they were enduring, they had forgotten what the apostle had said. You know, we also forget too easily, and we also need to be constantly reminded of the great truths of the faith. They knew what was restraining the full and open manifestation of the man of sin and what would continue to restrain him until the appointed time. Now, this brings us to an interesting question. What is the apostasy? The second is, who is the man of sin? And the third is, who and what is the restrainer? Um... In the first part of verse 6, the restrainer is described in an impersonal way. What is restraining? But then in verse 7, Paul says it's a person. And E.W. Rogers writes this. It is something and someone who will willingly, purposely, wittingly, and designedly holds it in check with the view to ensuring that the man of lawlessness is revealed in his own proper time. So this restrainer is a person. Now, there were many common views as to who the restrainer was. Was it the Roman Empire, the Jewish state, Satan, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, the true church as indwelt by the Spirit? Well, it is the Holy Spirit indwelling the church. We are part of what is restraining the Holy Spirit, God from coming on the scene here. The Holy Spirit indwelling the church and the individual believers. it really fits the description of the, of the restrainer more completely and accurately than any of the others. Just as the restrainer is spoken of as something and someone in this chapter, it, the Spirit is also spoken of in John 14, 26, 15, 26, 16, 8, 13, and 14 as the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Holy Spirit is the connection with the restraint of evil. And it is by the indwelling Spirit that believers are what? salt and light. We know that salt preserves. We know that salt hinders the spread of corruption. Why do you salt fish? Why do you why do you take a piece of fish and, and make it salted cod? You preserve it so it doesn't rot. Well that's what we are. We're preserving the world, the society, the the neighborhood, the workplace We are a preservative from absolutely going to decay and total rottenness. Light dispels the darkness, the sphere in which men love to perform their evil deeds. So when the Holy Spirit leaves the world as the permanent indweller of the church and of the individual believers, then the restraint of lawlessness will be gone once we are gathered to christ the holy spirit in us which is the restraining force once we're gone that's it there will be no restraint of lawlessness and it will then begin when paul writes the mystery of lawlessness was already at work um He's talking about that there was a tremendous spirit of disobedience to God. It was already like underneath the surface. And what he is saying um, was not that it was mysterious, but rather that it hadn't fully manifested. It was still in the germ form. Right now in our society, we see lawlessness happening Certainly in all of our major cities, we see it on the news all the time. And so here we are, the salt and the light. We are, we are to be performing this action of restraining lawlessness. Now, what has hindered the full display of this spirit, the lawlessness spirit? The presence of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling, that and indwelling the church and every believer, and he will continue to exercise this function until he is taken out of the way that is, at the rapture. Now, some people might say, Well, how can the Holy Spirit re- be removed from the world as one of the persons of the Godhead? Isn't he omnipresent? that is, everywhere at all times, then how can he leave the world? Well, of course we know that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's always in all places at one time and the same time, and yet there was a distinct sense when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had repeatedly promised that he and the Father would send the Spirit. Well, how then did the Spirit come? Well, he came as a permanent indweller of the church and of every believer. And until Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had been with believers, but since Pentecost, he has dwelt in them. Until Pentecost, the Spirit was known to depart from believers. David prayed, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But after Pentecost, the Spirit remains forever in the believers of the church age. So the Holy Spirit will leave the world In the same sense in which he came at Pentecost, that is, as the abiding indweller of the church and of every believer, he will still be in the world. He will still be convicting people of sin and leading them to saving faith in Christ. We know that during the tribulation, people will be saved, but his removal at the rapture doesn't mean that no one's going to be saved during the tribulation. No, no, no. Of course, they will be. But they won't be um, members of a church. They'll rather be the subjects of Christ's glorious kingdom. And after the church has been raptured to heaven, the lawless one will be revealed to the world. So, um... We are right in believing that the man of sin is revealed after the rapture and that he continues until Christ's revelation and then his career will last approximately seven years, the length of the tribulation period. And then the scriptures tells us that the Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the manifestation of his coming. So, I think that... Um, we've covered not all those scriptures yet, but I think you have a little better handle on what we're talking about with regard to the tribulation, the rapture, the day of the Lord, the man of sin, the restrainer. And that should give you a little better picture of understanding what's about to come down the road for us. In the meantime, we say, stay, be steadfast, stay steadfast in the things of the Lord, in his word, in prayer, in fellowship with one another. And we're going to continue this next week. We'll be doing part two, maybe even a part three. So I want to say, you can go to www. Because we're out of time, pureheart.today. And you can listen to this podcast again. You can download the iHeart Media app and go to podcasts and plug in Pureheart Ministries to listen to this podcast again. You can write me, you can email me at dawn at pureheart.today. And of course, We would love to hear from you in every way possible. We thank you always for prayers. We thank you for helping to spread the word and help support this ministry. You can send a check to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. Well, this is Dawn Noble. I look forward to being with you next week as we continue to dig into Second Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. I look forward to being with you again. Shalom, shalom, peace be unto you.